This podcast is a member of the Voices of Wrestling podcasting network. Visit VoicesOfWrestling.com to hear the rest of our great podcasts, as well as show reviews, columns, opinions, and updates across the world of wrestling. Shake Them Ropes, episode 290. This time, the real episode 290. Maybe I'll just call this episode 290 number two. Crown Jewel and Women's Evolution begins to take focus in NXT UK debuts. Batista comes back and throws down a challenge, he asks. Dean is a bit moody. Big Show turns for the 900th time. And the rise of Tony Nese continues. I'm Jeff Hawkins. With me, as usual, Chris Novembrino. Hi, Chris. Hello, Jeff. I'm happy to be with you here on episode 292. Let's do it. No, 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 no. It's just episode 290 the second time. Not yes. episode episode yes. 292. Let's go. No, no. 290 T-O-O. We'll go with that for the... <laughs> right, episode 292. Absolutely. I'm going to start with a little bit of a downer. Uh, today, passed a guy who was very prominent in my fandom for wrestling, a man by the name of Dick Slater. Uh, Dirty Dick Slater, big in Florida, big in uh, the Georgia area, Mid-South. Also a Crockett guy. Um, for, for my personal fandom, when I decided to go full in on being a wrestling fan and we used to go to these places, we had mom and pop video stores still, and the mom and pop video store in my area had wrestling tapes. The first tape I rented was the great American bash 1985. And the first match I saw was Dick Slater and Buzz Sawyer versus the Andersons. And I've been fascinated with Dick Slater ever since. Now, for, for my personal fandom, it's been more of a tag team guy because I, I got to go back in history and watch him and Orton when he they were trying to collect the bounty on Ric Flair before uh, the Harley Race match. Um, Dick Slater and, and Mad Dog Buzz Sawyer were always a great team, no matter where they went. I loved watching them. Dick Slater could throw a great punch. I loved the hardliners with him and Dick Murdoch back in, I think, the early 90s for WCW. He had a great match filling in for, for Terry Funk uh, at one of the clashes where he teamed with the great Muda. But the most fascinating pairing, and he, he you know, back in the history, which I still haven't been able to see a lot of, but I've been able to see some of, is uh, he teamed with Bruiser Brody in Southwest. But the most fascinating team for me was they were the last U.S. tag team champions in the WCW Dick Slater and the Barbarian, which just seems like one of those motley thrown together pairings. But I want I'd, if they had ride along back then, I would have loved to have seen a ride along with Dick Slater and the Barbarian. Because what the hell do those two people talk about? I have to imagine they just talk about how they're going to work matches. I think it would be <laughs> a lot more scientific in a way than you might expect. Now... Now, for all that, I, I've filled in some of my historical gaps by watching his solo runs, and some of his solo runs are fantastic, especially in Georgia and Mid-South where he was the champ and he was teamed with Dark Journey, and he still had Buzz Sawyer kind of hanging out with him, and they kind of play him up as a ladies' man. As a kid, though, Dick Slater, I, I thought the first time I saw The Karate Kid, the movie, um, I thought Martin Cove was Dick Slater. So I've always kind of associated those two together as well. But man, I mean, Dick Slayer's just one of those guys. 
one of the last of that breed of the guys you wouldn't want to meet in a bar because you're afraid he'd just beat the crap out of you. I, I love the dude. You watch him punch and kick, and you thought it was real. It, it's it, He wasn't into this fancy choreography. He was just going to beat the crap out of you, and I, I love Dick Slayer. Do you have any memories of Dick Slayer, or is this a little bit after your time? It's a little bit before my time. I have gotten to watch Dick Slater now as, you know, a grown adult and someone who is getting, you know, into wrestling history, that sort of thing. When I started getting into wrestling podcasting, I also went on a binge of Midnight Express matches uh, earlier this year. And so I did see Dick Slater somewhat in the mix of that. Yeah, I like Dick he Slater. No, he, he's a good, stiff, mean guy. And, and I like those old brawlers from the late 70s and early 80s. There's a certain thing, a certain quality, a rawness to that style of wrestling I really appreciate. And Dick Slater was a great exemplar of that. Well, it's funny because he and yeah, he and Sawyer basically lost their jobs in Crockett when the Midnight Express came in, and and so I guess they were that that last pro, their, their last program in the Midnight Express's first program in Crockett. Uh, for WWF fans, you might see this on the network. I, I don't know if there's a lot of it because he didn't spend too long on there. One of the worst miscalculations by Vince McMahon was, I believe, circa '86 or '87. They hired Dick Slater as a single star, and they kind of gave him what would later become Tracy Smothers-type gimmick. He's he's a baby face called the Rebel Dick Slater, and he's waving around a Confederate flag in a Northeastern territory, and he's supposed to be a baby face. And you just go, you look back on it now, and you go, well, of course this didn't work. At the time, I'm watching going, oh, cool, Dick Slater's in the WWF. But you realize now the total disconnect of trying to create that kind of southern babyface star in a in a New York promotion. Yeah, and it's interesting because I think that sort of gets into WWE UK or NXT UK in the sense that the regional promotion allows for a more intense fandom, but sometimes those very strong regional characters don't necessarily translate well to a national or international stage. How so? Well, like, for example, the southern baby face with the Confederate flag. You can't do that well, in, no, in, meant, in national meant, promotion. Yeah, no, I, I knew theoretically what you meant. I meant, like, Dave Mastiff, were you not impressed with him? Or, no, 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 it wasn't that. How general? about Gnome Dar? Here, that's an example. I wasn't actually thinking of anyone specifically from NXT UK, but it seemed like a lot of those guys were more at home and in their element in the UK with fans that seemed to connect with them more immediately. Gnome Dar has never been as over in WWE as he was when he went to NXT UK. Okay. No, I, I think my problem with NXT UK, and look, we're only on the first episode, but it's just, it's... It's guys that, you know, wrestling fans and even European wrestling fans love, but it's the same kind of stale presentation, I guess is lack of a better term. These guys don't get to show off anything of their personality in, in their presentation. They get to have good matches, but, you know, after you have good matches back and forth, I mean, unless you have... Character development's very important. I'm with you. Not just character development, but attitude and... and Unless you have the attitude when you're wrestling like a Pete Dunne does every time out, you're not going to get over in the way that they're presenting this kind of show where they're, it's mostly going to be, 
you know, linear storytelling versus guys coming out and being themselves and cutting promos. It's going to be a lot of the, oh, this is your WWE Universe UK, you know, which Trent Seven kind of did. I mean, they made Trent Seven and Tyler Bate boring, which if you've ever watched them in progress, they are definitely not boring. But here they're kind of doing the, this lame white meat baby face shtick. They're the show ambassadors. That's their function on the show. It's not super exciting, but that someone has to do that, and it makes sense that you would use Trent Seven and Tyler Bate in that role. But but even so, I mean the the rest of the the wrestlers on here, you you can see the, for lack of a better term, the WWE ness coming through in terms of they're going to be archetypes with catchphrases and a finisher. They're going to have pretty good matches. They have a hot crowd, which is good for them. But at the end of the day, it's not very memorable week to week. If 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 you can't have guys, and this is where promos are important, and it's a problem across every single platform this company has, in my opinion, is that they nobody's terribly interesting because it's all kind of corporate double speak marketing stuff. It's the backstage storytelling. You're not getting interesting or engaging backstage storytelling even on the stronger brands. NXT probably has the strongest backstage universe. As far as we know so far, NXT UK doesn't have any. 205 Live is very into these solo shot promos, which is not the most exciting thing in the world. And Raw and SmackDown have big problems with the way that they do backstage and front stage sort of well, storytelling. Yeah, exactly. As, as a writer, you know, I, I love... I'll, I'll give you the, the exception to the rule. Mustafa Ali's promos are always... When he shoots them outside and he's walking... Yeah, he's that was really cool. Chicago, they're, they're always great. But all, all these universes you talk about, it's all about the backstage putting on a TV show meta type of office politics of going day to day and working for the WWE, as opposed to these guys who do professional wrestling for a job. And that to me is the disconnect here. I'm still going to watch NXT UK because I, I, I'm, I'm especially looking forward to this women's division uh, with Tony Storm and Rhea Ripley and Ginny involved because women tend to have st- stronger different characters versus muscle guys in shorts which tends to be what what the men's rosters have started to become a bit with the exception of you get like one fat guy who can who becomes a brawler but you know it, it's it's one of those things where i'm watching it i'm listening to vic joseph and nigel in front of a green screen in connecticut probably taping this or they're at full sale I don't know where they where they're taping this. They weren't on site. No, they're probably on the road. I, I would have to imagine that they do this on the road sometime around the same time they do the two hundred five tapings. It, it's basically different parts on in the same archetype. It's like doing Law and Order, except it's except it's 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 Law and Order SVU. It's it's still the same archetypes of a WWE show. It's just this time it's the British talent starring in it. So I'm. You know, I'm a little bit more down on it than most, but we're only at the first episode, so maybe I should just shut up. Yeah, so I will say <laughs> a couple of things positively. Shut up, Hawkins. Two, 
The remix of the NXT theme for the UK show, I really liked that. And I have been fairly negative on the CFO production team in general. I find their music is not particularly memorable. They have some occasional hits, but if you look at kind of the bulk of their themes, I think the Jim Johnston era was on balance much better at essentializing the characters of these guys than a lot of the CFO themes, which feel fairly replaceable. So I really like what they did with the theme here. And I actually liked this opening match, the opening main event between Pete Dunne and Noam Dar, because I think that they're very good foils for one another. I, I thought that this was a good showing for them. I'm with you. This episode was very by the numbers, but at the same time, it is the first episode. So I think it was just more getting us into the space. And what I really did like is the crowd, which I feel carries the show and and does a lot to help me, the person who has not watched all of these dudes in progress and in other UK promotions, know immediately who the babyface is, who the heel is, like they have an immediate like emotional attachment. Well, it kind of goes into a little bit of mine in that it's it's the pilot for a TV show. It's your first episode. Introduce the characters for me. Don't just give me a straight wrestling show that goes into the middle of the action without me knowing who all these people are if you're introducing them to me. And look, I think Noam Dar's a hell of an in-ring talent in terms of potential and upside. He hasn't been able to put it all together necessarily. The problem is, after watching him be very, very athletic, you know, the attempts at giving him personality have failed, and he's not allowed to put his own personality into it, so... I mean, how many matches can you have like this? It becomes like a 205 live problem in some ways where you know you have guys with personality. Like, I think Flash Morgan Webster is fantastic. I love that kid. Love love everything I've seen of him on the indies, everything like that. But if you don't let him play that that quote-unquote gimmick he has, then he's just he, – it's just kind of – well, we get to see the hook, but we don't get to see any depth of it. it it's kind of my problem with Jack Gallagher on, on 205 Live. It, it's We know his character, but he never gets to develop it any. He never gets to really show off any of it for the most part. He just gets to, he gets a couple of catchphrases and a handshake, and that's kind of it. So No, so the problem with Jack Gallagher on 205 Live, which is a good transition into this, is that he has not really had anything going for him as a character ever since he's been uncoupled from Brian Kendrick. The Brian Kendrick was what brought him into this heel iteration, and he had... That series of matches with Tazawa, if memory serves, and since then, he's just been a guy who follows Drew Gulak around, and he makes some sense visually to be paired with Drew Gulak. Like, I can see why they would hang out with one another in terms of characters, but we haven't actually done anything with him in a very long well, time. Well, and, and I think a lot of that is tied into the umbrella gag. I think they did the umbrella gag once. Somebody laughed. They kept doing that to the point where they go, this character's stupid. We need to find something else for him to do. And he never recovered from that. Um, my note on 205 Live is I'm I'm shocked how well they followed up on the Tony Nese win against Cedric Alexander. Oh, yeah. Let's talk I, about the awesome five-way match. That was that unbelievably was engaging. Great. Yeah, it was great. Uh, may have been a mistake to... I mean, look, they didn't beat Leo in his hometown, but it would have been interesting if he had won in his hometown. Uh, but 
I, they're, they're yes, build, they're, but I think they really do want to keep Leo heel, and they don't want to do the yeah. Drake Maverick thing with Leo's a babyface on 205 Live, but a heel on Raw. Nah, I, I don't think that works. So I, I think no, they, I, need, I agree with they that. need to keep him out of the way. They're, they're obviously, I think, setting up Nice to get killed by Buddy Murphy, which is fine. Yes. Um, Tony but, keeps getting betrayed by his friends, and we I think that's when we finally solidify the Tony Nese babyface turn. See, it's weird, because I thought we had had that when Enzo was on the show. Yeah. And all his friends turned on him as well. So People were it, ready for it. Yeah. It, it, but I liked the follow-up. I liked that they're making him strong and competent, as opposed to just kind of fluking into these wins. Um but yeah, that five way was was pretty darn great. I'm, I still don't know what they're doing with TJP in some ways, uh, but he got a chance to shine in the ring, which I have no problem with, uh, as as well. They just need a tag division. They they need intermediary belts so that guys who are not in the immediate title picture are not having to all constantly be foils for the number one contenders match. Well, that, but I don't. But then again, I don't need to see. Drew Gulak and Jack Gallagher versus the Lucha House Party every week. For yeah, the but tag there'll titles. be new tag teams. You know what I mean? They can switch those around. Okay. You can keep doing fresher pairings. I mean, for example, the Brian Kendrick and Tazawa will also be going up against Jack Gallagher. Or yeah, I mean, I just think it gives a little bit more depth. And then the guy like Noam Dar doesn't necessarily get lost on that roster. Um, so maybe you don't have a Noam Dar failure to launch issue um, when you have these tag belts. I just think yeah, it you, gives you, you other people cycle, things to do. And you can also cycle in special guests who are under the 205 without having them be in the actual division. I mean, I Rey Mysterio is going to come down there at some point. I think that will be very cool. You know, you could have Tyler Bate and one of Trent Seven's legs fight for that tag title. It'd be great. You could bring down Tyler Breeze <laughs> and Fondango, actually. Yeah. Uh, so, I mean, th- there are a number of people you could bring down into that tag division and, you know, say, ah, Tyler Breeze and Fondago made weight because they haven't done the weight gimmick in forever. So, I-, I mean, you just say that they made weight and have them scrum it up. I, I-, I don't know. I-, I just think that the issue is these endless feuds that go nowhere. Like, what was the yeah. point of the Brian Kendrick versus Tozawa feud? And now they're going to be paired together. There will be some fun as them actually doing the student and teacher gag again i think we're going to revisit that and sort of you know invert it maybe uh tozawa starts teaching kendrick lessons they don't have an end point they don't have heat and in the end it just becomes we're having matches against each other and then we switch dance partners bingo so this is why having a tag title would be useful so which show would you like to go to would you like to go to the 1000th smackdown or would you like to go to raw NXT US. Let's stay on the stuff that I actually enjoy watching on a regular basis. Oh, uh, I really loved this episode. I, I thought the tag team match with the War Raiders and Undisputed Era was pretty darn great. Yeah, great non-finish match. Brutal. I loved Hanson's comeback in that match. He is very, very athletic. And they, him and Ray Rowe look so good and so believable. As world beaters, I look very, very forward to the next match between the Undisputed Era and the War Raiders. I thought it was a good reintroduction of Bobby Fish as well. Yes. Oh, yeah, it was great. Uh, Those chair shots were vicious. Bobby Fish in NXT brings brings a little of the swag that I was talking about before in terms of their attitude. It's, it's, you know, Kyle O'Reilly kind of gets to play, you know, 
technical wizard, but kind of goofy personality. Adam. Cole's He's the airhead. The, Adam Cole's the cool guy. Uh, the self-styled leader. Yeah, the, the 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 alpha of the group, and uh, and uh, and Roddy is Roddy is kind of the bratty bad lieutenant who could g- turn. The he's Tully the traitor. To, yeah, yeah, he's, no, he's the guy who the he betrayed his way in to the group. It's like it's weird. I, I like it a lot. It's it's fun. And then Bobby Fish is what is Bobby Fish, Jeff? He's kind of that grizzled. Uh, Ole Anderson type presence on the sh- on in the, in this junior horseman as I like to call him crew, he, he he's like Ole and Arn at the same time because you have Roddy as the bad lieutenant who you can't quite trust. Yeah, and and he's kind of he he has he has the best facials of anybody in the group because he has you know the 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 hipster facial hair with the mustache and just great eyebrow raises and things like that. So. He, he's the most animated of the group in in that way as well, which really I I think brings the whole unit together. And I I as a guy who's had similar surgery as him, uh, and also later on we'll talk about Tegan Knox wearing the same kind of knee brace, and she'll now have to wear two of them, I guess. Uh, I I always root for those types of people to be able to function well with that kind of sports knee brace. Uh, I always get a little nervous. Every time they run a bit, but uh, happy to see Bobby Fish back uh, doing it for us old guys out there. Love it, love it, love it, love it. And and look, I could watch Bianca Belair and Nikki Cross. Again, this is the official fan show of Nikki Cross. Nikki Cross Central. We we could do Patreon episodes of everything Nikki Cross does in her day. Uh I will watch that match when they do get a clean finish. I was fine with this non-finish. Oh yeah, that was really entertaining. It was it was well worked, and so you didn't feel like you wasted your time watching them have a match, and the match felt competitive enough that you were able to sink your teeth into it. And I also really love Nikki Cross and Alistair Black's on-screen chemistry. That was really fun. That was it was a lot of fun, and if she's not going back to sanity. I'd love to see her kind of paired with him. Me too. That was my takeaway as well. Like, these two need to have continued interactions because they just have a certain energy on the screen together. For for me, what I really liked about this, man, is I think Nikki Cross has kind of slipped into that spot that Bailey was in between when the horsewomen were brought up and when she was brought up, and that she's kind of the glue person to help the new people on the roster develop a little bit more she's kind of the old hand in the ring with them but she's still great and in this one Bianca Belair had to go against every other match that Bianca Belair has had for the most part with the exception of the Mae Young Classic where she lost to Kyrie Sane in that she is such a physical athletic presence in the ring that she overpowers the people she's in there with usually and having to watch her sell to to uh to nikki was very very interesting i I think she's grown a hell of a lot in the last year um i absolutely loved the spot where nikki came off the ropes and bianca hit her with the hair i i love that part of the gimmick, I've, I've said, for it, it's like having Bob Orton in the cast. See, it's funny. We, we just have totally opposite reactions to that. That was the one thing I didn't really care for. I, I really? think you, that, you like yeah, that? no, I really like her facials. I, I think that Bianca Belair does a really good job 
telling you what she's thinking with her face. The whip thing, I just, I wasn't able to get into it. I was not kayfabing. As long as they don't overdo that part of the gimmick, I'm fine with it. But And here, she hasn't used it in weeks. So I, I, I like it in the her. face. I don't like it in the midsection. Oh, you can't take it in the face. She wears beads in her hair. I mean, well, or on the back. How about on the back? I, I there's okay. just other places where I think it's more plausible. I just don't buy it on the midsection. Okay, I, I'll, I'll accept that part of the criticism. You better. I just, I just when you say hit her in the face, fit her in the hit her in the face with. I mean, look, she. Has Wait, do you want fucking Smash Mouth or what, Hawkins? I'm here to fight. <laughs> Look, I'm just saying, go back and watch that Kyrie Sane match in last year's May Young Classic, and look at the welts on Kyrie Sane from 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 the from the beads. It ain't ballet, Hawkins. Nikki's hair. Oh, I know, I know. But I mean, in a sport without blood, <laughs> there's a lot of blood. All oftentimes. Oh yeah, no. Uh, so you know what's not working on this show are squash matches for Shayna Baszler. She's getting diminishing returns because she's had so many of these style of matches that I don't. I mean, short of her like taking, I, I don't remember her name, and just like beating her mercilessly outside of the ring. I, I she's not getting returns on those. I'm gonna cut you off because I think I think that's. Therein lies the problem. She was beating on Britt Baker. Britt Baker. Uh, A.K.A. Adam Cole's girlfriend. A.K.A. one of the more... Adam Cole's baby? Yeah, that's Adam Cole's baby. Um, also, she was on uh, the all-in card in the four-way women's match with Tessa. Uh, uh, oh, girl who just got in uh, the hot mess, Laurel Van Ness, uh, Chelsea Green. And uh, and Madison Rain, she is one of the best on the independent circuit out there. To have her be squash material in front of that full sale crowd, I think it. I think they just could not suspend reality on that one, and I think that's why you, you didn't get a hot crowd for that, and it, they just weren't buying into it. Uh, even though Britt, I think, sold great for her. I think she sold well for the spots and stuff, but she's so... Ta- It'd be like bringing in Santana Garrett to do the same thing. It'd be like, you know, when when Deanna Perrazzo had her first run in NXT as enhancement talent, it was like one of those things like, why is Deanna Perrazzo losing to this person? So your argument's that the audience is too smart, and that's why it wasn't working. And that if they brought in, like, a real random unknown talent and Shayna squashed her she would have gotten the sort of effect that they were going for? Yes. Yes. I don't know that I believe that. I, I get what you're getting at, and I'm definitely with you that the crowd is smart, but I, I don't know that you replace it with an unknown, and that works. Okay. <laughs> I, I, I don't... Okay, so so what did you not believe about, about the squash then? We've just done it too many times with her. And it, it, with Shayna, it's either she can be the champion of the division or she can't. I, I just don't think... Shayna Baszler as upper mid-card heel is viable because of the way her character is presented. Well, she she's not... I mean, her being champion is less important than the story they're telling is that she's the bully of the division. She's the... <laughs> well, I, I always liken her to Joe from Facts of Life, if you really want to go there. You know, she she's she's the tough, 
tough girl in the in the girls boarding school full of models and stuff like that. So I'm, you know, I I, I don't know. The championship is kind of secondary to quote unquote athletic legitimacy. No, I think she just needs to move on from NXT. I I, I just okay. I think that her time in this division has passed, and this character. Um, runs the risk of becoming stale before getting onto the main roster. And as we all know, the main roster is no picnic either. So it'd be the best thing for her to be able to hit the ground running on the main roster. That would give her the best chance to get off the ground. Well, I mean, you have two MMA people on the main roster already. But I think this horsewomen thing might happen at uh, at Evolution, something regarding that. I don't know what it is, but... They're gonna they're gonna move her on from at least just being a solo person. I think eventually. See, I want Shayna to attack Ronda. I kind of want us to get into that. Okay, that that might happen. You might get your wish. I don't. I don't. I haven't heard anything, so I don't know. But uh, I I think something. We're just in a holding pattern until we get to Evolution. I think something happens around that time. Okay. All right. So Raw or SmackDown, Hawkins? Where do you want to go? I want to do SmackDown. Just because, for me, that first 15 minutes, including all the highlights they showed during the commercial break, look, I'm a person who believes that sometimes they actually tell the truth in the WWE. Like, like, uh, if you watch Beyond the Mat, I've always taken verbatim that Vince McMahon really wants to make movies. So I've always kind of viewed my way of critiquing the WWE through that. If you watch this with the McMahons and the dance break and the we're here to just the E stands for entertainment and you juxtapose it to the match that came up right after that between Daniel Bryan and AJ Styles versus the Usos and you juxtapose that with all the highlights from the 1000 episodes which were all bad comedy sketches. One in particular I was very surprised they went back to was Billy and Chuck, which is something that I would want to throw down the memory hole as hard as I possibly could if I was WWE. Well, th- well that said, I-, I did enjoy the Eric Bischoff reveal in that in that thing. I thought that was one of the better things they ever did. If, if the story is true that nobody knew it was Eric under the makeup all day, um, it-, it makes the legend sound great. But the only real performance highlight from there was Rick and Charlotte after Charlotte's first title win on SmackDown. None of the moments involved the actual wrestling. And that's pretty much, when you look at what Vince McMahon wants in a product, he, you know, great matches are great. and But they get you from point A to point B in terms of the things that people really watch the show for. And I, I'm just like, I'm like, you you watch that and you go, God, there were so many things that they could have probably put on this show from a wrestling perspective, but they just did not want to. And of course, think about how many great matches Daniel Bryan had in 2013 alone on SmackDown. Well, and, and then the backpack, back padding about the 9-11 episode, you know, you knew their McMahons can't help themselves, so, but be self-congratulatory at times. But it really stood out to me watching that. That thing where Vince McMahon comes out and he's going to dance, you know, how personality driven these shows, he wants these shows to be and how 
for the most of the show, it drives out most of the personality of the people. So I'm, I'm just... Yeah, that was my takeaway from that segment as well, is that the McMahons over two decades here have sucked the oxygen out of the room in a lot of these shows. Well, it was a fascinating meta-commentary on the history of, of SmackDown. Yeah. When you got there. Now, now for me, the highlight of, of that entire segment was Carmella's off looks. I think comedically... Just watching her go, wait, that's not true. And her her system of processing within the story things that aren't true, but she doesn't really. She's she does she wants to be polite and not say anything. I, I find her a fantastic comedic actress in that sense. And then just kind of losing all reason when they say dance break, and she just gets into it, and then just goes back to reality a bit. I, I it's a great improv bit where it's like where it's like. I'm going to be she's she's playing the straight man in this scene by, you know, reacting as a normal person would to all this insanity around here. And then when they say something insane like dance break, she just gets up and dances without thinking, no, that's stupid to dance right now. I, I absolutely love love that whole interaction. Yeah, I like Carmela having fun. I, ironically, like it's funny because the true TV stuff recently has been entertaining enough that it really could stand on its own merits and then out come the McMahons and that ends up being this grand metaphor for how the McMahons have functioned on this show over and over and over again and even someone like Shane who is often entertaining he still comes at the expense of everyone else. And so going from watching NXT US and NXT UK where it's just the wrestlers and even NXT UK, I, I know that we're not like super hot on the guys just coming down the ring and cutting the promo on the microphone, but at least it's just them cutting a promo and them speaking for them instead of all of this overarching management stuff. Yeah, I, I, I just... It, but it's weird because I should have liked the Usos and Daniel Bryan and AJ Styles more. It was too short. It was too short, but I I just I'm I'm so done. I'm getting enough of tag team partners who can't get along. That's also on true. Raw. You know where this match is going to go before it even begins, and that is very frustrating. What would have been more interesting in this match is if. Daniel Bryan and AJ Styles get the win, but someone does the aggravated tag and steals the win from the other. A little game of one-upsmanship. Because you know that WWE always likes to go in the direction of, oh, miscommunication leading to tension. Ah, ah, ah. And it makes the match not worth your time. I, I, would, I would just like two professionals who are really good at their jobs to be good at their jobs throughout the build of, of the program. As opposed to this, oh, he miscommunicated and hit him. Oh, now they're going to start pushing and shoving as opposed to just, hey, okay, I accidentally hit you. That's part of the sport. Move on with the match and try and win the damn thing. I, it's 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 that kind of sense of melodrama that, they, that the WWE is known for that takes me out of certain situations. Um... It kind of, it, it's kind of my same little nitpick about the Becky and Edge segment, which I think was the best thing on this show um, in terms of Edge's part in it. I really would have, you know, the the Becky reaction where it's like uh, where she's pretending to take it all in and then she does the twist. I, I kind of would have 
Rather, they played a little straight, but I really liked Edge's promo here about, you know what, you're going to be sitting alone looking at your title wins. I wish he had kind of brought in Christian into it where he kind of goes, look, we're doing, look, I do a show with Christian on the WWE Network, but we're business partners. We're not as close of friends as we used to be because there's always that tension of, you know, the times I turned on him and things like that. Just really kind of take that second level depth into it, but I liked this for what it was, and I loved I, you know, I really, I'm, I'm starting to really turn the corner on this Becky Charlotte story, even more, even though they're, they've totally miscast both these people in it still. So, but yeah, I have a contrasting opinion on this. I didn't like this really. I, I thought that because they keep sailing into the wind on this, all of this fell flat. Even your example of Edge and Christian, the more plausible narrative is Edge tells that story and it ends with, and it took him years to forgive me. And Becky would then go, well, I'll wait for those years to pass and Charlotte will get over me being the fucking champion. Hold the belt okay. in the air. I, I, I just... I'm with Becky in not giving a fuck, and I think that using Edge like this just fell flat. Um, so I didn't care for this. I actually was much more into the Evolution promo, which I thought was a very good usage of all four of those guys to get a lot of storytelling in. I thought Dave Batista in particular was really strong. Um, he's awesomely humble and gracious, even after that run that people were quite mean to him, and audiences were quite mean to him, and... His failure to launch was not his fucking fault. That was because WWE simply would not commit to Daniel Bryan and did not want to see no Batista in that particular moment. He could have been anyone. He could have been Rey Mysterio, as we found out that year. Uh, Batista has been very gracious about that. I thought he did a good job carrying that segment, turning the corner on Hunter. However, I would have liked it more if that segment had ended with Hunter and Randy turning on Batista, and Randy hits Batista with the RKO right there. I didn't want it that heavy of an ending. I, I, for me, I, I did enjoy it. And I thought Dave, it, it's, I, I'm, I'm still uncertain if this version of Dave Batista, because you see it on his Twitter as well, if it's genuine humility or if it's kind of that, that aw shucks, you know what? I know I'm this big muscle headed lunk, but really guys, I, I'm not, I'm not a vain glorious guy. Like say Dwayne Johnson sometimes comes off as I, I, I would have liked it more of, but you never beat me with a bit of a smirk as opposed to the tension filled. Just drop the seed and walk away as opposed to the woo moment where it's kind of like, you know, have them all be on the same page here. But with that little bit of doubt, I, I think, you know, playing it a little bit lighter here might have gone over better, but I still enjoyed it for what it was. I really liked Randy Orton kind of wearing the suit again while maintaining his current character and how he's evolved. I thought that was rather strong on his part. Yeah, I, I thought he did a really good job. That's why I kept waiting for him to hit Batista with the RKO. I think it's just the natural progression here. Randy needs to say, I have evolved beyond evolution. And his reaction to the Batista line was great, too, yes. where he's like tugging at his collar. I like, I, And see, for me, the joyous part is, as an improv guy... If you're watching a scene sometimes by two very highly skilled actors and one of them breaks, it is it's it's not the Jimmy Fallon kind of self-serving break in a scene where you just think you're that clever all the time. Watching them break over Batista's dick joke was one of the best things 
in terms of a real moment that I've seen on WWE TV in a while. I'd like to thank our sponsor this week, Simple Contacts. Now, I do not wear contacts, but my mom does. And back in the days before the internet and even before disposable contacts, my mom, she had a prescription, but she'd always have to soak them at night. Uh, She'd end up losing one about once every two weeks. And this just became a real pain because back then, if you lost a contact, you'd have to go back to your doctor's office, you know, get a new prescription, order the contacts again, you know, make sure you're not, you know, if, if you ever heard of the old, old joke or seen the old joke of people crawling on the floor looking for their contact lens, that was my mom pretty much. Well, right now, in this age of specialization, you have something like Simple Contacts where you can order all these through the mail. Now, here's what happens. You take your prescription and you give them to Simple Contacts, or if it's expired, you take a vision test and it's self-guided, takes five minutes. You can do it from home as long as you have about 10 feet of space and an internet connection. Now, it's designed by ophthalmologists and a licensed doctor reviews every test, so you can skip the office visit. Simple Contacts has all the brands and types of lenses you're familiar with, so you never have to shop around, you never have to go into stores if they don't have your brand, and you can find the lenses at the best price. Now, right now, what happens is the vision test is only 20 bucks. Our offer is going to give you 20 bucks off of there. So it's virtually free. When, when you think about it, if you had an appointment and you don't have insurance, that could be up to 200 bucks. So what you do is you go to simplecontacts.com, enter the code STR, or you enter the code STR at checkout. That lets them know that we sent you, and they get happy, and we are happy because, you know, we, we've reached somebody, which is great. Now, this isn't a replacement for your periodic full eye health exam. If you're going blind, go to a doctor. This is for people who already have existing prescriptions for contact lenses or their prescription has expired and they need to renew it. It's not for brand new customers who think they might need contact lenses. So again, go to simplecontacts.com slash STR or just enter the code STR at checkout. You get $20 off. You let them know that you heard it here on Shake Them Ropes. And you know what? You get your contacts delivered to your house. You never have to leave. You never have to go to the doctor's office. You don't have to go to the drugstore. You can do it all from home while you're watching football or watching your wrestling. And we thank Simple Contacts for their support. And I guess to the, the big moment in SmackDown 1000 was the bar wins the SmackDown tag titles with the assistance of the big show. So you've got a theory on this. I, I'm interested to hear what this theory is because I watched the match and I couldn't conceive what you were going to get at. So now's the time, Hawkins. Unveil what you've got. I am taking a wild stab that at Survivor Series, the bar and the big show are going to be facing the shield. Interesting. Interesting. And that the big and that the big show can take the three man power bomb or what have you, but there's gonna be cross this is gonna be played up as the cross brand matches, you know, dream matches. You only get to see this one time, even though they said you could have cross brand matches on every pay per view. And we all know that we've stayed up late at night imagining what would happen if the Shield took on Cesaro, Sheamus, and the Big Show. Who hasn't imagined that over a few beers? But I, but I think it may be part of the whole red versus blue laundry angle in some way. Sure, sure. So I'm thinking, thinking that's why they paired those three up because 
now on Raw with, with it looks like the dissolving of the quote-unquote dogs of war that they're going to need another trio to go against the Shield before they finally break them up. Yeah, yeah, and you're not with me that the authors are going to eventually get aligned with Braun Strowman, I'm guessing, then? Uh, no, I, I'm thinking uh, Braun's going to be his own man, and, and uh, y- you know, into this... Yeah, we'll get in. Let's get into Raw then, because because there's a lot here with the World Cup, which is <laughs> it. The World Cup to me is interesting because there's nothing worldly about it. It's all Americans. It looks like right, and, and but it's smartly booked at the same time because it's half legends and half quote unquote company guys who can bring up the legends work rate somewhat and make up for their, for their age. When you look at this, you have Dolph, Seth, Miz, who when paired with legends could probably bring up, you know, the quote unquote energy levels, if you will. And they can lose in the first round while giving quote unquote good matches. Uh, you know, and then you have your name, Cena, Ray, Kurt Angle, and, uh, who am I leaving out? Rand or Jeff Hardy, and Randy Orton's in it too. So I mean, it, it, it's people from be, all over the world, really. Well, it it's it's once you get rid of Seth, Dean, and the Miz, it's you know it's all your favorites from back in the time when you really enjoyed it. It's it's the nostalgia tournament, so, and that's kind of what they want for this whole right. thing. That's the whole point of these big international shows, right? They're nostalgia tours. Like it, the reason the Saudis want to see WWE is not because of Seth and Dean. It's because they have heard stories about The Undertaker and Hulk Hogan and other wrestlers from the 1990s and 1980s and would like to see them live one time. A lot of people out over their skis on the geopolitical uh, status of Saudi Arabia. Yeah, let's talk about Crown Jewel here, shall we? So you talk about the over the skis thing. Let's get into it. I I take the politics out of this right now. I, I, the politics are messy. It, they're, they're always going to be messy in the Middle East. My point of view is is that you, you can't cancel the show because you're a public company and you've made this deal. It's It's pure... You know, transactional. Do you think they should run there again, then? I think if there's an actual contract, yes. If there's not, you can break it. I think that, I, th- I think if there's something in writing that, that, that here's the dollar amount we're going to give you for this many shows, you are obliged to your stockholders to go through with this contract and not lose $20 billion or whatever... The amount is here. Ooh, let's get into that stockholders angle, though. So let me throw this out there then. So suppose okay. you have the contract, but the press around running a show in a regime that many people consider to be disregarding of human rights starts hurting the share price. Do you then have an obligation to the shareholders to get out of this contract so as not to hurt the value of the stock, which is overvalued? Well, no, I agree there. But at the same time, who else is going to give you a contract if you break this one? 
You see that 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 becomes a problem. I I I get what you're saying, but that's sort of like a side argument from what if this is hurting the share price? You're talking about shareholder obligation. I'm with you. So suppose this is hurting share values. That WWE being aligned with Saudi Arabia gets you bad press on things like John Oliver, and, and it starts to ripple. And it, it's more than just John Oliver too. Like look at the community and and look at just sort of the general opinion. People don't like this. People are not comfortable with this. If if this is actually hurting share prices, it doesn't matter if you can get another big contract. This is hurting you right now. This big contract is not helping you. Well, I think it's all dependent on whether or not there's an actual in-writing contract. I, I think that... And then so, it, what? let's say if there isn't, then what say Jeff Hawkins then? Does Jeff Hawkins think if there is no contract and it's a free choice, should WWE run another show in Saudi Arabia or should WWE cut their ties with this regime that has serious issues? Oh, I think come on, Hawkins. Well, it's an easy no. Well, it's an easy no. I, I would say go. I would say go to the United Arab Emirates and run shows there. I would say. I, I would say also give your talent the option to opt out. I, I think. I think that's that to me isn't isn't so much an issue either. I, I think if people are really having a problem with this and and don't want to go, they shouldn't have to go. Um, I'm not going to go full union on this in terms of I don't think I don't think they could get the type of response from talent whereas if 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 you saw I don't know what the paychecks everybody's getting to go over there but they're supposedly pretty hefty no I know it's a big payday I am aware that the workers are getting paid well doing this show it is something that is presenting an ethical concern and appears to be creating issues with the price of the stock, which right now I would argue if you were someone who was holding it is something you would be looking at with great caution. Um, and, and you don't need bad news stories. And this most certainly is a bad news story. And WWE looks very silly along with many other companies when they say they're, quote unquote, just monitoring things. Well, yeah. And in general, like if, if the government got involved and put on sanctions and stuff, the WWE should honor them. Uh, my my general opinion is because of the ripple effect that it could have on just the market, so to speak, Um you do what's best for the stock, and if you can get out of the if if the negative media is hurting you, you get out of the deal if you can. If it's in writing, you have to honor it because you know you made your bed. You know, <laughs> take what you want and pay for it. That that's that that to me, you you have to honor the deal if you have something in writing. That's that, that to me is it. I mean, it's bad business not to. So it's. Eh, uh, yeah, yeah, I get that it's bad business, but I also could see how you could very easily go to future clients and say, hey, look, the Saudi thing was an exceptional case, and there was a very clear reason why we went ahead and broke that contract. Now, I, I want to speak in moderate, slight defense of Vince McMahon's position here, because I think it is more complicated than a lot of people have appreciated. So... Vince's wife is in the current administration and that puts Vince and his company in a very precarious position where 
he doesn't want to make waves. As I mentioned, the stock price, in my opinion, is overvalued. So he's trying to protect the value of that stock price because that's what you do when you're a businessman. He also has his wife. He doesn't want to say, oh, we're not doing this because that could potentially have a ripple effect on his wife's job. Uh, the president could take out a bad decision on his wife. It's not impossible. Vince and Trump have been friends for many years. Trump also has a, a vindictive streak, uh, as is reported in the media and in life. And so I appreciate Vince's position here. I appreciate the idea that he has a contract. I appreciate that this is a huge payday for the company. Um, it, it is tough. However, I still think... After all of those nuances, he is making the wrong choice here if he continues to run shows in Saudi Arabia. I can get an argument for running this one show. You're already this far into it, and it is complicated. The idea that you're going to step into the middle of a complicated geopolitical deal between the Saudis, the Turks, and the United States government that seems to involve... Khashoggi, Pastor Brunson, potentially Fatullah Gulan, and all of these things that WWE, World Wrestling Entertainment, doesn't need to be in the middle of, I can get how they don't want to be in the middle of it. But I also think that Vince needs to realize that this has to end. Okay. Agreed. Mostly. Um, you know, Dean Ambrose needs to get his ass kicked by his friends. I've, I've come to this conclusion that this mopey Dean, Dean Ambrose, I'm, I'm going to go a little uh, Colin Coward here. Dean Ambrose is the guy whose girlfriend cheated on him, and you're going out with him six months later, and he just won't shut up about it. Have you ever noticed how all of Colin Cowherd's examples sound a lot like examples from his old life that he tries to put onto someone else? Yes. Yes, they're all dude, dude bro you're the type of girl at the bar, the type of guy at the bar. Are you your friend, Colin? Is that who you're yeah. talking about? Um, but but really, if this, <laughs> you know, the, the heel turn, won't he turn, will he turn, aside that they keep on going back to square one about, at some point, if he's going to be this much of a dick to Roman and Seth, if he got a beatdown from the two of them and just came to his senses, I would find that deep storytelling. I would, because everybody has had a friend like this. It's usually a girl named Karen, and he's cheated on, oh, oh, Karen cheated on me. I'll never be able to find, uh, look, will you snap out? You don't understand, man. You don't understand my pain, man. And just cold cock the guy. Just cold cock him and go, look, there are other women other than Karen, all right? You'll find someone else other than Karen, you moron. Get over it. I'm tired of hanging out with you. You bring the room down. We go to bars and you get sloppy drunk and then I got to take you home and you puke in my car. I'm sick of it. I'm sick of your mopey ass. Just just beat up. <laughs> you and I have very different styles of friend management. <laughs> no, I'm the guy. That's <laughs> Okay. Okay. <laughs> Probably. I don't know. I, I, I've never had friend that friends like that to be honest with you where it's like oh we'll go make him forget about his problems because that always ends up being a problem within itself but i i'm i'm it's it's a little too emo for me oh yeah no no i'm over this i i did like the breakup of the dogs i thought that drew mcintyre yes. in that segment was really really good when he hits the first claymore kick 
and it's inadvertent, but he looks at Braun, and there's just this crack of a smile before he gets back into the match and the mentality of the match. I thought that was really, really well done. It's really well done for for Drew. I, I thought the the part where Braun decides to lose it on on uh, on Dolph was a little much because it's like well, it was muddy because like Dolph is left in the ring with Braun at the end of that scene. Why are you screaming in my face? when I've already had one grueling match to make it into the World Cup. And it was just like, it was just like that, that half a step too far on melodrama where it's like, dude, he just beat one of these guys to get into this, this, this tournament thing. Stop, stop being on him about him being a weak link, all right? Yeah, calm down a little, brother. You know, take a little. You know what would be fun deep storytelling to kind of stay at this vein is if Braun kept beating up on Dolph and kept bullying Dolph into submission. So that, like, Braun <laughs> was rebuilding Dolph in his Braun Strowman image of, I'm going to toughen you up. You're soft. You're small. I'm going to break you and build you back. Oh, I'd, I'd kill for vit training vignettes. I missed a good. I missed me a good training vignette. Dolph's jump roping, and then all of a sudden Braun Strowman just clotheslines the fuck out of him. You know, just just <laughs> something like Mister Mister Wrestling too, and, and Magnum T A back in the day. You know, kneeing giant sacks of corn and shit. You know, Dolph's just, doing push-ups, and all of a sudden Braun Strowman just comes and kicks him in the ribs. The the one of the worst storytelling tropes they have is uh is the battle royale that's coming up. And then everybody just decides to lose their damn mind in terms of friendship and stuff. Yep. This thing with uh, with with Naya and and Tamina, who I have I have a soft spot in my heart for Tamina. I think Tamina's number one. I think she's probably a sweetheart in real life. Just judging from all the interviews and things I've read with her, I think she makes a hell of a presence as a bodyguard. Not not the greatest wrestler in the world, but just a pure bodyguard presence. She could work in this company for five more years. But the whole, I'm going to turn on you and throw you over the top rope because that's what you do in a battle royal thing. Stop it, please. It's why nobody, it's why nobody can get behind these women's stories anyways because they end up turning on each other so damn much that, that basically it, it, it turns this company into some sort of misogynistic, world where women can't be friends they can only call each other bitches and you 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 have to very carefully try and find a way around the Bechdel test yeah and the other thing that I really didn't like about the women's presentation recently was just this stuff with the Bellas of ah you are defined by your marriage status your relationship status that stuff really feels unevolved as we are moving towards evolution well, it, it's it's weird. It is and it isn't because look, the the, the Bellas aren't. They're not evolved. I mean, they are relics and they are anachronisms in this division in, in many many. But ways. they should be identified as that rather than trailblazers. But of course, WWE for many different reasons doesn't want to do that. See, I I actually for for me, I I view this very oddly because I really didn't like Ronda's promo here. Um, I'm I'm. I'll, let me get my biases out of the way. I've never been a fan of Ronda Rousey when she was in MMA because I always thought I, her attitude always turned me off. And in the WWE right now, her gimmick is bipolar. She's happy and smiling until she snaps and she becomes angry and moody. And this was an angry, moody. This was the 
the Holly Holm promo that she cut on her Instagram where she basically called Holly Holm a fake preacher's daughter and, and you know, where it really got kind of uncomfortable a bit there. Combined with the WWE verbiage about, you know, eradicating or you're, you're like smallpox. And I'm like, hey, yeah, at least make it polio so we can get a Jonas Salk reference in there, guys. But I, I actually kind of admired Nikki here for taking those types of barbs because, you know, she was prepped for them. But at the same time, you know, you can always veto that kind of stuff backstage. Look, I don't want to take that. because I mean, if, if this had just been two women trying to cut promos on one another, I would have liked it. But but with with Rhonda's history for me of having a real attitude and gratitude problem combined with the the wonky verbiage of you know eradicating decimating you know throwing you know the smallpox drop in there i just th- this whole thing felt very i mean this and and you you juxtapose it with the with the alexa bliss trish and lita stuff I, just let them talk let them be real and then turn it up to 11 as opposed to this weird verbiage that doesn't sound like they're building fights. I, I, yeah, it, I think there needs to just be a different approach to some of the writing on this where you say, okay, you wrestlers are going to be paired together. Here's what we're trying to do. Make us a pitch. And the writing team should still write out a plan. But if the wrestlers show up and have a pitch for their promo that seems to have some coherence... Let them go out there and just do it because so many times these people just feel loaded up with dialogue and you can see them trying to remember stuff. Well, we might be the bubble here because they got No. They got a great reaction Absolutely not. from No, they they, We're not they the got bubble. a great reaction. They got a great reaction. That's all they needed to do. I mean You're a bubble. I'm a bubble. <laughs> Look, I'm just saying, I, I uh that said <laughs> I, I still can't get over now. Now that I've made it almost canon that Mickey James is is your divorced mom back on the prowl. That character never <laughs> that never never gets out of my head. And this week, just the leopard print top. Yes. Yeah. And- right. 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 <laughs> no. I, I'm just having fun. I'm 41. <laughs> she's having a blast, though. You can tell. She, oh no, she she's is actually having person- fun. She is the one person in this program that looks like she's enjoying herself when she's cutting these nasty promos about other women and things like that. I think Alexa Bliss is, but you can tell Alexa Bliss is kind of nervous about hitting her her marks and stuff like that. Mickey James is out there. She's confident. She knows what she's going to do because she's such an old hand at this now. She's a veteran. Not only that. She, she should almost have a giant margarita in one hand when she's doing it. She's having so much fun. I'm on vacation right now, just acting like saucy mom on the prowl with my daughter here. You know, because compared to the stiltedness of Trish and Lita and, and kind of the, the verbiage, I would guess you would say, of Alexa Bliss, I, I, I'm, I, I continue to enjoy just watching Mickey James as a performer seem to be having the time of her life when everybody's trying to be super serious. The issue with Alexa Bliss is that her self-absorption 
is just a little too over the top. The rhetoric's a little too bombastic for someone who really yeah. hasn't done very much. But, you know, the women's wrestling between NXT this week and the Mae Young Classic, this 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 if if you haven't watched any of the Mae Young Classic, skip it all. Watch this episode. I think Michael Cole did a hell of a job on this episode, especially in the uh, uh, Satamara versus Lacey Lane match. I thought it was hyperbole at first, you know, talking about how much of an underdog Lacey Lane is because she's been wrestling for, but she, they finally, they go, she's an underdog, she's an underdog, she's an underdog, and I'm like, I'm literally talking to my phone because I'm watching this on my phone during lunch break at work, going, okay, Mike, you have to take that second step and tell me why she's an underdog. And right at that moment, which is about halfway through the match, he goes, because Lacey Lane's only been wrestling for almost a year, and Mako Satamora has been wrestling for like 13. I go, there you go. Now I'm engaged in this as opposed to trying to get past your hyperbola of how much of an upset this would be. And from there, it was smooth sailing. I loved that match. Um, I I thought Io Shirai and Deanna Peraza was a little one-sided for my taste uh, up until about three-fourths of the way through, and they finally kind of started clicking a little bit more. Um but both are great. Uh, unfortunately, this is the episode where Tegan Knox uh, injures her other knee. And again, I, I've had ACL surgery. It looked, and this was her good knee that she ended up messing up. She did a dive outside and it looked like she was trying to favor the good knee to take the brunt of the weight. And her ACL probably popped. And I just was like, her whole story is she had to, miss last year's May Young Classic and miss a year of competition rebuilding one knee. And now she's going to have to miss a year building this other knee. I just, I, I felt so bad watching this live and, uh, maybe she can come back with the stone cold stunner. <laughs> <laughs> and then Mia Yim and Tony storm who are both old pros and it just pretty fun, solid match. So, so this is, if you guys have been kind of avoiding the Mae Young Classic because you don't like, you know, basically squash matches and things like that, this is this is where it started to get competitive, and this is a good jumping on point for uh, for the Mae Young Classic on through Evolution. Um, Evolution. It's a mystery. <laughs> Evolution. Evolution is a mystery. Evolution. The booking's kind of a mystery because you have this battle royale with. Asuka and and uh, Ember Moon and Nia Jax and all these high-level people that you could have probably built matches for. I think they're probably going to end up adding a six-woman tag with the Riot Squad and uh, and uh, the Boston Hug Connection and Natalia. Oh, man. Let me talk about my least favorite thing on Raw real quick now that you mentioned the Riot Squad. Uh, okay. I have not brought back the dummies in a while, but let's bring them back because squirting mustard in ketchup on the door of a grown adult to get under their skin is one of the stupidest things I've seen on television in a long time, Jeff. Well, if it, if it was uh, if it was Liv, she's not that much of a grown up. It was all of them as a group. They decided that the way to really get under the skin of Natty was to squirt her dressing room door for the week with condiments. Yeah, I know. That's the za- the condiment that- shit is the zany stuff that Vince loves. He likes Dean Ambrose with the hot dog truck. Oh, God. 
That's what we need more of us. Prop comic Dean Ambrose. No, please. God, no. Uh, Chris, we've gone, gone through all the subjects. Uh, you had an announcement you wanted to make. I do. I do. So, Jeff, a great man I knew lived his life huge. That man was Haystacks Calhoun, but he has nothing to do with what I'm about to say. So I am not going to be doing any more episodes of Lucha of the Hidden Temple, and I will explain why in just a moment. But first, I want to thank the audience who has listened to it. Uh, The show has enjoyed good and sustaining numbers, so the reason it is getting discontinued is not because of listenership, which is what made this decision so hard. I made this decision this week after watching NXT UK, which I really liked, And I realized, okay, I have a lot of things on my schedule. I'm currently doing Don't Worry About the Government, which you can find at don'tworry.tv. You can also find us on iTunes and Stitcher, and you can find our show at DWATG. I'm doing Shake Them Ropes, which you're listening to right now. But I'm also now the producer for My History Can Beat Up Your Politics. And I also have a show called The All in the Family Podcast, which you can find at allinthefamilypodcast.com. On top of all of that, I was also doing Lucha of the Hidden Temple, which I had to start doing solo. Um, On balance, it was actually making the production process quicker, but the show was a labor of love, and it was fun doing it, and I loved doing it with Miles. I want to thank Miles, the man, the myth. He's an excellent guy. He's an excellent broadcast partner. He's a guy who I got to watch go from having no on-air experience to having actual radio chops, and I got to be a part of that, and that was really cool. It was great to watch him grow on the air from week to week. I'm glad that we became good friends. He needed some time away from the show to kind of reset his own life, and he's doing that right now, and he's a good space. I'm hoping that we'll get to work together again down the road here, and we remain good friends. So a lot of times, people don't give the real reason why they are doing whatever they are going to do when they make these kinds of announcements. So I'm going to do the opposite of that and just get right into it. Every week for Shake Them Ropes, I am now watching, when I tallied it up with NXT UK, nine hours of wrestling. Now, I, of course, have the patented triple secret double copywritten Novembrino Power Watch technique, all rights reserved. I am a trained professional. Do not attempt this at home. But even with that, it still results in a lot of watching. And things like the Riot Squad on Raw and SmackDown are draining for me to watch, and I wouldn't say they are labors of love. That said, I really do enjoy watching NXT and 205 Live, and that is something that I would watch independent of this show, and I like being on the show and doing the show with Jeff, and that's a big part of why I'm here. But trying to balance the production schedules of all of these shows has become hard, and I'm about to start a new job, so I think what is best for right now for the rest of this season is the discontinuation of Lucha of the Hidden Temple, The door is being left open to a reboot with Miles and myself next year, and that is all I've got for you. So I want to thank you all once again so much for listening to Lucha of the Hidden Temple. I really do appreciate it. Uh, People have given good feedback on the show over the years. Uh, Obviously, I wish that Lucha Underground was also better, and Lucha Underground not being very good this season was also a deciding factor in this. If if Lucha Underground (laughs) was in the column of wrestling I actually enjoy watching, it would make the ratio of wrestling that I have to watch every week more bearable. But as it were, Lucha Underground also has not been very good, and that's another motivating factor for it. So thanks again, everyone, for listening. And that's all I've got, Hawkins. Do you have anything to say to that? You can follow the show at Shake Them Ropes. You can follow me at Crap Game 13. You can follow Chris at 
Chris Novembrino, right? Yeah. No emotional support at all, Hawkins. No wistful farewell to Lucha of the Hidden Temple. Nothing. Nothing. Yeah, well, the show's loss is your gain. You're stuck with me now.